There are lots of people out there who see things wrong with the world and want to do something about it, but there are less people who actually do it. In 2011, my guest and his co-founder heard how socks were the most requested item from homeless shelters. So they asked, what if we started a sock company where every pair sold would be a pair donated? Doing something about it, right? Oh, they're doing something. They're about to donate their 10 millionth pair of socks. My name is Jeremy Kirkland, and this is Blamo, a podcast exploring the world of fashion with the people who shape it. My guest this week is Randy Goldberg, the co-founder of the Pop-Up Flea and Bombas. Randy and I discuss how he went from blogging about menswear to starting the Pop-Up Flea and building Bombas, a company on track for $100 million in revenue, all while giving away 10 million pairs of socks to the homeless. Let's do it. Randy Goldberg. Dude, yes, I'm the here. Don. I am here. You, you are here. We are in the Bombas office. We are in Bombas HQ. Um, wanted it to be on my home turf. It, as you should. Wanted to shake things up a little bit. Yeah, Get better, you out of your comfort zone. Better home player than away player. That's right. Same. Yeah. Um, Got a good night's sleep last night. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Um, I'll, before we, we dive in too much, I met you at the pop-up flea. But as we were talking before we turned the mic on, I completely forgot how, you know, I mean, I often make jokes that like Michael Williams is one of the original like blogger dudes, but like you are, you're also that guy too. I mean, we'll, we'll get into where you're from, but like I, I completely forgot that you were running Kempt and Urban Daddy. Yeah. Kempt was, Kempt was a blog, get Kempt, getkempt.com. Yeah. We couldn't get Kempt.com. So we settled for get Kempt. Who had it? Well, I mean, who? He was a really angry human who didn't want to sell it. <laughs> okay. We thought it was going to be a two-month project, and we just kept running it. And it was fun for me to get into the menswear world this through, 07. through Kempt. Yeah, 07. We launched it basically on Halloween in 2007. So and um, shortly after, I got an email from Michael. I mean, he was famous for just sending out links. That's how he would yeah. meet people. He sent me a link about Top a, referral. a blog, <laughs> blog post he did about Vampire Weekend. Uh, and that's how, that's how we met. And then we became fast friends. You know, you meet somebody of a similar outlook in the world, see things the same way. Um, you know, and we, we would just get together and talk and talk shit and became fast friends. So God bless Michael Williams. God bless Michael Williams. Love that for guy. Sure. Yeah. Um, so where are you originally from? I'm from Baltimore. Baltimore. Baltimore, Maryland. Yeah. So like you're into the wire, you're into the Orioles. I'm into the Orioles more than I'm into the wire. Okay. People used to just hate on Baltimore and it would just be sort of, oh, you're from Baltimore and there'd be, you know, like they feel bad for you. Well, what's, what's bad about Baltimore? You just, I love, you, it was a great place to grow up. Saltines for your like crab cakes, right? Isn't that it? We, we have great crab cakes, saltine, <laughs> sure, Old Bay, all the cliches. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, like, what's, I don't know what, what could be bad about it. People just think it's a bit of a shithole. Um, it's going mm. through some tough times now, but sure. I, 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 love, I love Baltimore. and uh, It's a, a great place to grow up, a great place to be from. And you find yourself defending it, you know? In the same way Michael, we Defends bonded Cleveland. over that. He, has, he was like, I had to fight for Cleveland everywhere, and it, it, it makes you... You know, it makes you a little tougher about the place where you're from. But yeah, that's true. Yeah, I guess so. I've been in New York. You know, yeah. I was gonna say. So, wh- when did you come to New York? You went to school. Went to school in D.C. at Georgetown, and um, then I went to Boston for a few years, okay. and moved to New York in 2005. And what what were you doing when you got here? Like, what was the plan? 
the plan was to write. I was freelancing as a copywriter. So I worked in advertising and um, I moved here and I started picking up some jobs here and there. And then I went to work at a, a digital agency in Brooklyn called Big Spaceship. Mm-hmm. And Are they still around? Yeah, they're still around. Nice. Great, great agency. Um, we, we, were, we worked a lot on movie websites at the time. So we worked for Sony and we did stuff for Nike. I did like a, a Nike basketball uh, shoot and launch. We did a great project for HBO. We worked for Vitamin Water, and then I ended oh, up damn. working for Vitamin Water, writing bottle copy. And wait, uh, hold on, hold on. Wait, you wrote bottle copy for Vitamin Water? Yeah, I wrote bottle copy for Vitamin Water. Wait, that's. I just want to stop on that for one second because I remember reading some of that stuff. I think Vitamin Water and maybe Snapple were like two of the only companies I knew that wrote like really witty banter. Yeah. on the side of these <laughs> yeah. bottles it was, it was a funny thing like they were just they let you just go for it and you could write some crazy stuff and it would make it on a bottle and then be in <laughs> a million 7-elevens around the country that's which was amazing really fun. yeah so i would i mean i would do random stuff like pick songs for commercials or you know write copy like that or do brand books for you know faltering old menswear brands and uh it was fun uh, I, that's that's kind of the thing that i got into Early on, I didn't go to school for that or study it. But once I once I got into the world of advertising and realized this is my thing, like I really like the idea of building a brand or finding the best thing about a company and right. telling that story. So that's what I've been doing now since you know 2005, Jeez. 2003 well, maybe. What were you just to go back one sec? What were you studying in school? I studied finance. Oh, um, finance. Okay, but never worked a day in finance and. It was more of just like, I think this is what I'm supposed to do. I think it was what I was supposed to do. And then I, it wasn't me. It wasn't who I am. I, you know, sure. To go from that to being a writer, it's a pretty slippery slope. That's a, that's a big 180. Yeah, big 180. But yeah. you know, I started out, I had a job in consulting and got laid off seven months into my first job. So I was like, all right, living in Boston. Oh, heavens. Not from there. Had some friends, didn't know what to do. And I just tried to figure it out. I mean, I was waiting tables and working at a wine shop and thinking about what I wanted to do and interviewing at a million places. And then I met some people that worked at a branding agency in Boston. And, you know, they were like, I think you'd be good at this. Why don't you try out a a project with us? And I worked on a brand book for Johnston and Murphy. Fire. Yeah. In 2002 or something like that. And it was great. You know, I could, it was the kind of thing where you just didn't feel like a job. I was doing something that I thought was great and I couldn't believe that an office could be fun and look like that. And I got into it more and more from there. So I went from that to working on like Keds and LL Bean Signature and all these brands, sort of New Englandy vibey brands, even though Johnson Murphy's from the South. But right. um, I worked with this agency for a long time and then realized I needed to move to New York. That's where the action was and there'd be more work and right. more going on. And so you, you do Kempt and then you bump into Mr. ACL, Michael Williams. That's right. And one of the things I wanted to jump into, and maybe this is almost too soon, but it's, it's the reason why is, is like it was so important to me, because this is where I met Michael, was you guys started something that was completely unheard of called the Pop-Up Flea. We did, yeah. So it was 2009, and we were just sitting around probably having a beer uh, and a pork bun. Um, and right talking about stores and just how there were no good stores in New York, or that's how we felt. Nothing that represented our point of view. Yeah. No place that we were excited to go look at or see or touch or feel. We felt like that was missing a little bit. And our first thought was, let's open a store. 
And then we're like, we both have jobs. That's crazy. We don't have the time for this. It's too much work. Let's open a store for a weekend. It was as simple as that. And my girlfriend at the time was running an event space. Okay. So we were able to get that space. In and then, Soho, right? That was the one on like... Yeah, yeah. It's next to the Noah store now for all you kids out there. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> He's like, oh, I know that to one. put it into context for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was in a, uh, like a gallery space. It was small, but yeah. uh, we had... We just invited brands that we liked and friends. And it was 2009. So a lot of these brands were selling to stores yep. that weren't representing their brand properly at that department store, let's say, or just had a fraction of what they did. And the complete story or picture wasn't available. Mm-hmm. Now you think of a brand and having, if they have an e-commerce site or a website, they're telling their story in a complete way, controlling the, controlling the narrative, showing you what they want to show. That was very hard to do in 2009 because you would sell your stuff to wherever, Barney's, wherever, and then it'd be on a rack next to something else, which is great because those companies have big, you know, a lot of people shop there, big followings, but they're not telling your story. They're not focused on what you do specifically. So there was a missing piece and to have an e-commerce site at that time was super expensive um, and challenging for a lot of smaller brands. And then to get their own store, you know, you're investing in a five or 10 year lease and a build out and it's prohibitively expensive. So there wasn't a great venue for a smaller brand to be showcasing their product because, you know, we weren't in the e-commerce world yet. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's funny because as you're saying it now, maybe there are a few people listening and they're like, well, yeah, of course. But at the time when you guys did this, this was completely unheard of. And I think also you know, in a way, I would argue that that mindset really influenced a lot of other businesses. And one, their ability to pursue their own retail thing on their own. But two, um, maybe they can sell direct to their customer. You know, I I know there was a couple shoe brands I won't mention. uh, And they were like, hey, I think we can have our own business and we can maybe sell it online. And but their trial and what I think you guys did is this was like this incubation period that you had done where they were able to test the market and that was through the pop-up fleet and that was you guys yeah totally i I, it was really in those early days it was exciting to watch what happened when the brands would interact with each other with their customers with buyers with editors with the people that came through yeah i mean it was a lot of it was unintentional we went we said (laughs) let's just make a a fun place to hang out for a weekend we had cafe select and yep. you know like a few a few brands few of the homies and it was it was good people would come in and they would shop but you could see that the people that were coming in really were really excited to meet the person who made their belt or their yeah. shoes or their hat and you know provenance counts a lot in this time in menswear and they want to know like what leather you're using and they, they're talking people's ears off and the people with the brands are really excited to have this interaction with their customers and you're right, it emboldened them to think about their brand as a little bit more, you know, a little bit more forceful than they had been thinking about things, that, that they could do this on their own. And then, you know, collaborations came out of it and people got jobs from other people who were walking through the flea and, you know, press. And there was like, there ended up being, you know, street style photographers camped oh, out yeah. outside. <laughs> there are street style photographers. I mean, I'm, I've been to every single one of those. Nice. It was where I first met Michael. It was actually where, if you listen to the Michael Williams pod, I, I wanted him to be my best friend when I met him. And he was like, dude, I'm busy. Yeah. <laughs> he was very busy and I was a child. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. And, um, but it was where, you know, Brian, uh, Brian uh, Davis, one of my best friends, had done Wooden Sleepers, started it there. Yep. You had 
um, the LVC people who were doing stuff there. You had Quaddy, you had Oak Street. I mean, all these places. Yeah, that- Mordecai was there selling ties and yarmulkes. That's and, right. Yeah, and, and you know, you had um, Brendan doing a pre there, and you had that's right, Ian and Aaron doing Hatton. They're they're short lived like sartorial baseball hat company. Yeah, uh, that's right. You know, there were all these fun things that were happening, and then. You know, Harry's came through there and Warby Parker came through there in their early days. And, you know, Warby Parker had a table with glasses on it and no sign. And they didn't, they were just figuring out their business and they were a pop-up flea. So there are a lot of startups, some established companies. And then we have our like core community that still does the market. And um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's fun to see what happens there. You know, you mentioned your meeting with Michael. <laughs> to watch people interact with him at the flea was one of my favorite parts of it. <laughs> because he could tell when some when there was like a Michael fan Williams boy. fanboy yeah. eyeing him from 20 feet away and we'd be standing there and he'd be like, oh no, here, here it comes. And somebody would come up and awkwardly say something to him and he'd awkwardly respond and I'd just be there cracking up and yeah. enjoying the moment. I w- well, in a way, because like I was trying to be some blogger, I was trying to do my own thing, and like you know, like we were saying, like he was one of the first, and also he was someone who put his picture out a lot. Yeah. I mean, I had read Kempt, but I don't. I you weren't maybe I wasn't this isn't the face of it. Yeah, yeah, no. And so, so I remember seeing Michael and was like, "Oh my God, it's Michael! What do I say? Oh, okay, I got to say something." And I was like, hey, "Hi!" It was like <laughs> super loud. I mean, whatever. I was. It's fine. Twenty. And look at you now. Yeah, look at me. Now I'm the same guy. (laughs) But um, that was, yeah, that was an amazing time. And what's cool is you guys have never really stopped the pop-up for you. I mean, you've moved it to other cities. Yeah, we've taken it to Tokyo. Oh, that's right. You did go to Tokyo. Which is a a very terrible idea to try and (laughs) do a business for a weekend in Japan. But we had fun. (laughs) It was great. And eventually we're like, you know what, let's just go to Japan. Let's not start a business in Japan, you know, yeah. um, probably a better that. idea. <laughs> yeah. We've done London, LA, Austin, Detroit. Um, yeah. So this is where like, you know, and the reason why I wanted to mention the pop-up fleet, not just because it was a special part of my life, but also I, I feel, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is this might've been where this sort of entrepreneurial sort of bug or whatever becomes a nurtured because you eventually start Bomba's not too far after, correct? Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, I think the flea is the is the is a the good spark place where this entrepreneurial bug you call it. That, yeah, that was <laughs> sorry <laughs> nurtured at the flea for sure. I mean, I, I think it's always sort of been who I am, and my dad was an entrepreneur. Oh, really? Uh, What'd your dad do? He was in the eyewear business, but I mean, he was in the nightlife business in Miami in the fifties. Had clubs in Miami and then in Baltimore. Um, but then he got into the optical business. He worked for Saul Moscott for a little bit. What? Fire. Way back in the day and then had his own um, business. So when I was growing up, yeah, he, he, there are some crazy, crazy stories there. So you, uh, so you, a little of this came from your, your father as well. A little of this came from my, my parents owned the business together. So mm-hmm. that was there. Uh, but, you know, the flea was the place where I got to see a lot how all these businesses were running and our community of brands, you know, the people who are running them are great people. We always had the simplest way to get into the flea was just a no asshole policy, right? Besides, yeah. besides us, right? <laughs> that was it. We just wanted good people yeah. to be there if we were going to be there for a weekend with everybody. And there was a lot to learn from those brands and then how it all worked together. And then the idea of that we could put this on and we could do it ourselves, just me and Michael, and then later Jamie, um, how we could pull this all together and 
you know, you put something out in the world and it works and mm-hmm. then you, you get a little more confidence that you can do something else. So uh, where does Bombas like start and fit in? Because where did this idea come from? So the idea came uh, from my partner in Bombas, Dave, Dave Heath. Mm-hmm. Um, so Dave and I worked together at Urban Daddy. And there you go. he saw a Facebook campaign that Haynes had done with the Salvation Army. And it, it was a, a sock drive, basically. Mm. And there was a quote in it from someone in the Salvation Army that said, socks are the most requested clothing item at homeless shelters. And he walked over to my desk and he said, did you know that socks are the most requested clothing item at homeless shelters? And I said, no, of course I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) That would be a very obscure thing to Uh, know. Sure, yes, (laughs) I knew that. (laughs) Everybody knows that, dummy. No, yeah, so we started to think about it and got a little bit obsessed with this idea and wondered why it was. So you look into it and shelters don't accept used socks for hygiene reasons. Right. And socks are a huge need if you're living on the street. Yeah. And so it turns out a lot of shelters have to buy socks, which is a big expense for them. That led us to just start thinking about socks, which were an afterthought. You know, when we started to think about this, there was a lot of fancy dress socks, you know, Mm -hmm. out there. Um, You know, Paul Smith and Happy Socks were. Corgi and all Sozi and all those companies. Sure. They were well established brands, but. The athletic sock hadn't changed in 50 years. It was the same as it had always been. And we, got, we started to look into the market and saw a lot of features and things that could make the sock better. So we just started to, to tinker with, with the athletic sock. Right. And we spent a year and a half developing the, uh, the original Bomba sock. And the idea was... With the honeycomb yeah, arch? Honeycomb arch support, yeah. seamless toe, stab technology. Like all these like... I mean, I could bore you about sock details for hours, but we, we got really invested in the idea that, you know, there's, there's features that are being marketed to cyclists and marathon runners, but nothing is available as sort of a, a mass market consumer athletic sock that's more comfortable, feels better. And then if we, if we can, if we, you know, if we make a better sock and we donate a pair for every pair we sell, we can help solve this problem that was the original idea for the company. So that was just the genesis of the idea. We started to work on making a sock. Uh, it turns out Dave's godfather was the president of Gold Toe. What? Yeah, like 40 years ago. <laughs> so we had this connection, and he was like, I think this is a terrible idea. You definitely shouldn't do it. Interesting. You guys are morons. No one's going to pay that much for a pair of socks. But here's the best sock factory to work with to develop your sock. And okay. I'll help, I'll help you get into the factory, <laughs> and they won't charge you a lot while you're developing this. And there was, you know, when we were working with them, there was no line of sight to a purchase order, right? We were right. just like, can we change guys this? Like, can we change this? Yeah. Working on 150 versions of a prototype of a white athletic sock. Wow. Just obsessed with the quality, right? Yeah. And I think one of the things I want to call out about that, which I didn't even know, uh, is for some for some companies and brands and I've talked to a few different people and now there's some weird like DVNB like digital native whatever vertical dir- brands yeah direct to consumer and all this stuff you guys weren't like sitting in a whiteboard saying like how do we become a brand and make money it was more like you sound you saw a fact about an issue that was happening in the United States yeah and we were like hey how could we do this and then the idea of like, oh, I bet we could make a company and actually make a living off of it too. Like, 
that's really, I don't know, and maybe that's why I feel somewhat connected to your guys' brand, because I, as the transparency happens, and this is like me speaking personally, the transparency between companies and people, like, I don't really want to give a bunch of money to a company if... Uh, if like they're just all gonna blow it on their yacht, and like that's that's rude <laughs> right. of me to say, I guess, because hey. I want to buy the product, but Vote like with your dollars, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I want to do something supportive, and you know, I've never been a huge Tom's fan because my feet are so flat. There's nothing against them, but sure, it was I could not. I remember when you guys were doing your sock, and I was like, this seems really cool, and it was also. You know, because I, I knew that there was a couple glasses places, but the the cost of entry to be charitable per se was also really high, and I think you guys what your sock the price of your sock was what like twelve dollars yeah. yeah so yeah it's, it's a lot easier <laughs> you know we think a lot about if you think about the price it's a really interesting point because you couldn't do this with a car no right? if we were yeah. like we made a car ten times more comfortable and we're going to charge you three times as much you'd be like. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> no, you're exactly right. Yeah. Right. But you can do this with socks. And Starbucks yeah. did it with coffee. And that's the real model, right? Yeah. They took no, something right, they that did. people, you know, before Starbucks, people would have a cup of coffee at Maxwell House at home or their corner deli. Yeah. And it was 75 cents, right? They said, we're going to make a better product, a better experience, and charge you three times as much. And people were like, it's three times as much, but it's 225 instead of 75 cents. So yeah. we're okay with that little bit of a reach for something a lot better and you know now there's third wave coffees but that was the second wave and that's yeah the, the, the same kind of idea the fair trade the investing in the the farmers who are making it having direct relationships with them their transparency with it i mean i worked i was a i was a partner by the way starbucks mm, partner really? one seven two five three two wow uh yeah i worked there for like three or four years it was one of the best jobs i ever had in my life crazy <laughs> i mean it's a great company it is a fantastic and, company you know no matter what you think of the brand of starbucks like yeah the way they approach the pricing and the marketplace that's a similar similar thinking to us we're not gonna sell coffee we're just yeah we no, just like that as a as a model Every wardrobe needs a good shirt. And for me, a good shirt is all about one thing, fit. Does it fit in the shoulders? Is the length right? Collar? Shirts are more complicated than you think. Look, if you wanna buy a shirt off the rack like a clown, be my guest. But if you want a custom shirt that fits, you need to check out Proper Cloth. Proper Cloth makes it easy for men to buy custom shirts. And with nearly 10 years in the industry, they're doing it right. With fantastic customer service, helpful measuring guides, and incredible fabrics, Proper Cloth will take care of you, and you're going to get a shirt that fits right. I have four shirts from Proper Cloth, and I can't imagine going anywhere else for shirts again. From my casual button-downs to my dressy spread collars, I'm slowly transitioning my entire shirting wardrobe over. Right now, Proper Cloth is offering a special deal for Blamo listeners for $20 off their first purchase. Visit propercloth.com forward slash Blamo and use code Blamo to save $20 on your first shirt. This means you could get a killer custom shirt for under 100 bucks all in. I would start with either a simple blue Oxford or their wash denim. You can't go wrong. And with their perfect fit guarantee, if it doesn't fit right, let them know what you want change and they'll alter or remake it for free. So visit propercloth.com forward slash Blamo and use code Blamo to save $20 off on your first shirt. So you guys spend about a year in development. And yeah. when do you think like, okay, I think we got it? So uh, the point where we felt like we had it 
we just kind of knew, you know, it was enough. And it's just you two. There, yeah, there's two other, there are four of us. Okay. So it's me and Dave, uh, and Dave's brother, Andrew, and then uh, our friend Aaron, Aaron Wolk. So the four of us are the founders of the company and have been involved since the beginning. And when we launched the business, we felt like we knew when we had the right sock, mm-hmm. mostly because we loved it and our friends loved it and we'd hand it out at the gym. You know, <clears throat> that's a, a weird guy to be. It's like <laughs> the guy at the gym giving another guy a pair of socks. <laughs> That's very but true. we were we were all that guy for a long time. <laughs> um, you know that's where people are working out. So uh, we were testing out the socks with people we knew and a few people we didn't know, and then we said, "All right, it's time to put this out in the world." And we launched an Indiegogo campaign. Oh, it was an Indiegogo. Yeah. So we started. You know, we just wanted to to see if there was what the reaction would be, how people would would respond to it, and we knew that if we could do. It was pretty successful. Yeah, we we raised over 140 grand on Indiegogo, which was great. It was the number one apparel brand on there for a long time. I'm not sure if it still is, but this was <clears throat> five years ago. Yeah, and we took that money and you know we launched the company. We did our first production run. We built a website. And we go now what? <laughs> How do you yeah. get people to come to the site? And we were just thinking about, you know, we feel validated. You've got your early supporters, and and then we ended up hearing from Shark Tank. So that was like the next phase of the business for us. So I'm glad you mentioned Shark Tank because I don't know if you follow me on the gram. I'm a big Shark Tank fan. I got Shark Tank memes coming out all the time. <laughs> I, I, I love and adore Shark Tank, not just because of some of the like characters that are on it, but also I really, as someone who loves companies and, and the whole sort of American dream, I, I really do think they're doing some amazing things. So. On that note, you said they approached you? Yeah. So they saw our Indiegogo campaign. They reached out to oh. us. And we got to skip that whole... That's, that's a big deal. Recruitment. You got yeah. fast-tracked into we the got tank. Fast-tracked. But it was, it's a crazy amount of work leading up to it. I mean, the contract is insane. The oh. work you do with producer for months before you know if you're even going to film is, is crazy. It's and you a full-time were, job. You were into it. We were into it. I mean, it seemed absurd. We didn't think it was going to work out. But we thought the exercise was good, and it was really good for our business. At some point, you sit there, and you're, you're, you're workshopping questions they could ask you, and you force yourself to answer questions that you're maybe not thinking about for your business, because if somebody asks you about that on national TV, you better have a good answer. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. So it was, it, was really good for, it was really good for us. And I remember we filmed during the World Cup the last time around, so that was four years ago. Yeah. Because we're filming this, we're recording this now. In July, yeah. In July, yeah. Holy cow. So yeah, four so years ago. So you go into the tank. We go into the tank. And I, I mean... You walk down that hallway, and you've seen it on TV, and you're like, oh, wait, this do, is really happening. Do they play the music as you walk down no, the hallway? No, they don't play the music. Hear. You're okay. just kind of quietly, creepily creeping down a hallway. <laughs> um, and I, I, you know, you saw all them, and, and spoiler alert, Damon John, Damon was, John was an investor in it. Yep. And... Yeah, because I remember watching it. I remember when, like, Michael and, and he was like, yo, you know, Randy's going to be on Shark Tank. Um, I mean, you got that investment. I would say, like, how much do you think that that changed your guys' business? And not just from the exposure, but, like, the actual mentorship that happened. The exposure is real. I mean, it was crazy. Our site crashed, even though it wasn't supposed to, obviously. So we had okay. serious <laughs> issues the night of. But, you know, we did a million dollars of sales in the month trailing shark tank and we sold out a product before christmas that year we aired in september of 2014 it was it was nuts and then once we were back in stock there was a new floor right 
so it didn't catapult us like to a certain, it was a great moment. Mm -hmm. And then when it re-aired, it was even better. Oh, it re-aired? On Black Friday in that same year, which was great. Yeah. Fire's right. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And then it was just a sort of new level. And Damon's been great, a great mentor and advisor for us. Yeah, because I think that's one of the things that I like the most about the tank and is the fact that there is a little bit of, it's not like an investor in a typical VC in which here's cash, see you later, hit this number or you're gone. It's like, I'm going to get my hands dirty with you and figure this out together. Yeah, he's just been like a good friend to the brand. Yeah. You know, he's, he's got a lot of FUBU stories too, which are great. Oh my God. I'd love you to should talk that. to him. Yeah, that, that would be interesting. <laughs> All right, I'm down. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, that's just so phenomenal to me. So, this is obviously four years ago, and and what's funny is I remember I was telling a few friends that I was going to talk to you, and they're like, "Oh yeah, Bombas." Like I wear Bombas, and everyone in my office wears Bombas. Like it's pretty bizarre. My mom wears Bombas. Moms love Bombas. I, I, right? Moms love Bombas. I don't know, <laughs> but um, the interesting thing is when I was talking to them about it, no one even remembered. Shark Tank. Yeah. I mean, it was it just goes so fast. It goes so fast. We knew the reason that we were okay doing it. We were a little scared at first, right? You're like, what kind of brand goes on Shark Tank? But sure. we just knew who we were and the story that we were going to tell and that it would transcend that. And this just was, this was just another modern way of telling your story and getting your company out there into the world. Yeah. So we're on the street as you're about to give your 10 millionth pair away. Yes. That, 10 million pairs of socks donated. That's crazy, right? That's a lot. That's that's a whole lot, and I like I say that s- slowly because I'm still trying to figure out like that's a that's just a lot of freaking socks. It's a lot of socks. <laughs> and how so? Obviously, there's got to be some production things that happen along the way because you know initially you said you were at a factory, whatever name is, doesn't matter. But you were trying to just design the sock. Like, what happens with your relationship as you're making and you're making more and more and more? Like. How was that scale? Was it difficult? It was difficult to scale for sure. We, the, the good thing is we had a, a huge factory helping us in the beginning. Okay. Like massive. So they could, we, we knew that they could handle the growth. And now we have multiple factories who specialize in different features and have bought machines on our behalf. And we work with them to re-engineer machines to do specific things. Really? For the socks. Yeah, there's a lot of you know, technical innovation that goes into making a, a pair of simple-seeming socks. And that's the whole point. Yeah, They look like a pair of socks and you put them on and you may not know what's going on, but you know they feel more comfortable than any socks you've ever worn. Yeah. Um, but, you know, every part of the business had to grow up pretty quickly. We didn't even know how to donate socks in the beginning. What would you do if you were going to, where would you give them? Like you can't That's just a good, yeah, how, hand them out. How, how did you do that? I mean, we handed out a lot of socks on the street ourselves mm-hmm. just to sort of have the interaction and learn from the community that we're trying to serve. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was meaningful in, our, in the development of our donation sock, which is specifically designed to meet the needs of people living on the street. Mm-hmm. But Yeah, you're, and very, to be very clear, you're not donating like defects. You're no. donating specific socks we're made di- for donation. We're designing a thoughtfully designed donation sock that has an antimicrobial treatment and reinforced seams and uses darker colors to show visi- less visible wear. And we work with our donation partners. We have 1,200 shelter partners across the country in all 50 states. And oh my God. We started with one shelter in Ohio called Hannah Socks, and all they did was donate socks to homeless shelters. So they taught us a lot about how to donate socks, and now we have a department of our company that solely focuses on getting socks to the right shelters and the community. That's, that's really cool. 
I'm, I mean, and also from some of your guys' videos and content that you've made, like it's not like you guys do it and then you stay in a in a boardroom. Like you're there. Like yeah. you're actively participating in that. Yeah, I mean, we volunteer our time as a company on a weekly basis, and there's on a op- weekly basis, there's opportunities every week for people to sign up to volunteer, and they're always full. So it's important for us. We used to be able to do it as a whole team, and right? Now that we have, yeah, there's you know, a big office people. <laughs> it's harder to get everybody in one place, but. Um, it, in terms of, of how, you know, obviously you've had to grow up pretty fast and, you know, helming this, well, being a part of this company, which is so big when you're hiring people on here is the, uh, empathetic sort of compassionate attitude. Is that something that is really important for you for when you're bringing people on? Yeah, that's a great question. Cause we focus a lot on that when we're hiring and just generally in this company. So the people tend to self-select, right? Someone who wants to work here generally has mm. a desire in some ways to connect or give back to the community where they work and live. Yeah, they've done their research. And it yeah. works out well. Um, <laughs> nobody's left in five years. Really? Yeah. So we've built this company. I mean, we also have, it's a very friendly place to work. We volunteer a lot. It's a yeah. good office. Like, we think a lot about the culture and the way that we can make this company fit into people's lives rather than ask you to change your life when you come into work. And I think there's a difference there. Um, you want to talk about like the generation of young people who are coming to work. Yeah. I think that's what they're looking for. You know, it's the same thing. I think about a brand the same way, right? Brands used to create this world okay. and they would say, this is the American dream. This is how you should dress. If you want to get ahead mm-hmm. and be successful in America, come into our world, follow these rules, assimilate and like yeah. wear this stuff. People see right through that today. That's doesn't, that doesn't, feel authentic to today's consumer, right? People want a brand that can fit into their lifestyle. So if you can go to the consumer rather than asking them to come to you, that's how I think you can be a successful brand today. And that works with socks, which you see, but sometimes don't see. And it's a little bit less of a lift, but we fit into your lifestyle. We're not, we're not saying that you have to wear this a certain way or look a certain way. We're saying like, it's just socks. They're really good. And the community where you live, we're giving back to that community. And everybody wins. And that's kind of the idea. Yeah. And I think it's also like, you know, one of the things I I didn't even realize is, say you're starting, I don't know, a shirt brand, graphic tee brand, right? It's pretty easy because every, not that it's easy to start a brand, but like it would be easier than selling socks. And the fact that someone buys, walks away with that graphic tee, they're now a billboard. That's right. And in most cases, if I was wearing Bomba's socks right now. Which you're not. Which I'm not because these no-show socks suck. Um, we'll discuss that later. We but <laughs> but you you don't see them, That's so right. it's it's sometimes hard for the that sort of like just basic uh, word of mouth advertising. Like, did did you guys plan for that, or like, or did you Listen, know you that can't, the issue? You can't. There's nothing we can do about the fact that they're inside of your shoes. So yeah. we just have to like make them look good. For when you're not wearing your shoes, make them feel good for the person wearing them, and the rest will take care of itself. In a way, it's an advantage. Yeah. You know, we try not to do trends. We're not sublimating Larry Bird's face on the outside of a pair of socks like some brands. Um, uh, yeah. We, we think a little bit longer term around the designs and what they mean, and that's why we have a serious design team working here on these socks, because we care about what they look like, and we want them to be timeless and classic. And it's the kind of thing that could last a long time because it's not trend driven. 
Well, and one of the things that I, I wanted to mention as, as an explanation of that is also your guys' advertising. I don't know who's doing it, if you're doing it, whatever. But there's these really, yeah, there are these amazing like Instagram ads. And I say this as a fan because it is done really well. And <laughs> Thank you. Explaining how frustrating it is to wear no-show socks and how they like fall under your foot and they fall apart and all these terrible product it really it's a terrible product i mean that was another thing we took over a year to develop uh, our no-show socks and our sock development um our like head of development and design she's a genius when it comes to these things she woke up in the middle of the night with an idea around how to fix the no-show sock yeah and then went to our factory and worked with the engineers on how to make it happen. And that's why ours don't fall down. They don't slide. They stay in place. It's, there's a lot that goes into the, the thinking around that end. And then, you know, you layer on some design. And this, the storytelling of it, too, because yeah. I was, like, sold immediately on, like, watching that video. I was like, yeah, this sock I'm wearing right now is actually crumpled up under my, you know, arch. It's terrible. And, you know, but I'm trying to do it because I want to look cool. And the truth is everyone does really want to look cool. I mean, it's just... I don't know. I say that because I I feel like some brands have that aspiration to make that story, but there's a difference in actually right. doing that right. and then just being like, hey, it'd be cool if we did this. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> exactly. You actually have to do something. It's amazing. Right? Yeah, and well, and, and not give up on it. And I, I think, you know, I mean, I'm not going to ask for all the mistakes that you feel that you made along the way, but I, I feel like... None. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like... Every company, I mean, you have, there's a point where like things are just really, really hard and you have to figure out like, do we give up or do we move forward? And I mean, it seems like you guys are continuing to move forward. I mean, it looks like you're about to outgrow your office right now. Yeah. We're getting another floor in this building, but the, you know, the idea for us was what are we, what do we stand for? Think about what your core values are as a, as a company. It's super business school or old school. No, you're right. Write them down. And then make all your decisions based on that. It's not, it's not, it's, it's hard. Everything is hard. It, things aren't easy to do. The yeah. work is challenging. You have to bring in good people. You have to think strategically and think ahead and act in the moment. There's a million things that happen every day. But if you have these big things that are guiding you along the way and these ideas that you stick to and principles that you lean on when you make a decision, you'll be in a better position. Do you feel that that removes ego from decisions when you have it written down? For sure. I mean, Listen, there's a lot. We, we have a pretty egoless company, I would say. And sure. That starts with the idea that it's just socks. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. Okay. You know, like we're, we're, we don't take ourselves too seriously about this. Some companies, it's like, you know, they, they create this grand idea that they make this one product, but, you know, we're not stopping until we're an airline or we're a travel company, not a luggage company or whatever it happens sure. to be. And yeah, you, yeah. you hear these, these things and... I don't know. I, I think people smell that and they, they think. Yeah, I would say the BS tolerance, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's not what people think it is. BS, like, yeah, people are pretty tuned in to BS smart. these days and authenticity. There's a lot of researching that goes, at, at least for me, and I know other people before they make a purchase. Yeah, I mean, you want to, you know, listen, there's a lot of great companies out there doing great things and yeah, you want to give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, and if you're a company, you know, you got to tell your story and get credit for the things that you do well. Yeah. So you can't be afraid to, to shout from the rooftops about who you are and you want to get credit. Like we want to get credit for the things that we do on the product side and the community side, but it rings true. We're not doing it because we're trying to fool someone into believing it's true. Yeah. That, well, that's, that's true. Yeah. Um, to jump back for a minute, 
when you were first starting this, uh, you said your partner's godfather was at Gold Toe. He wasn't there at the time. He was retired. Okay, he was retired. He's like out in Westchester. But do you see yourself or you guys as uh, not, you know, you are obviously giving back in terms of, of the community and participating in that. But in terms of like entrepreneurial mentoring, is that something that you think about or something you guys want to pursue? Yeah, sure. I mean, I love that idea. Uh, we hear from a lot of companies, especially in the give back space. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of consumers are also skeptical about that. So, right. you know, we try and help those companies make sure they're doing things for the right reason and know why their product needs to exist in the world and help them. And then personally, I'm always interested in helping people out. Listen, that's what the flea was all about, yeah, right? Yeah. That was a community of brands trying to help each other. We were a platform for brands to, you know, have a bigger microphone, get in front of a bigger audience, you know, meet an editor. And the best brands at the pop-up flea were the ones that used the, the, the flea to their advantage and knew why they wanted to be there and what they wanted to get out of it. And whether that was to test a new product in front of an in-person audience or whether that was to meet a certain editor or just to be in New York and get the feel for what that's like with their company. They, if they had an idea of what they wanted out of it, they did really well. And the community was really supportive and still mm-hmm. talks a lot. And that's the thing we're most proud of, I think, with the Flea is the community that we've built. And it's the same, you know, same approach with Bombas for me. That's awesome. Um, we're going to wrap up pretty soon. But what's, I would ask, like, what's next for you guys? So what's next is more categories of socks. Okay, fire. Which is exciting. Yeah. Uh, but we're also working on some new product categories. So t-shirts underwear and beyond basics good stuff really really great versions of things that everybody wears so the first t-shirt you want to wear out of the wash every day that's that sounds awesome um this has been really really good yeah i want to thank you all for this uh is there anything you'd like to add or mention before we wrap you know bombas.com um fire and then look for a pop-up flea we'll be back you will early december Good 2018, call. New York City. Hold on to your butts. <laughs> right. Thanks for talking. Great talking to you, Randy. Nice talking to you. Bye. You've been listening to Blamo. Our theme music is by Tan Lines. If you like this episode, there's tons more to listen to at blamopod.com. Listen to Blamo on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're at it, tell a friend and leave a review. It helps let others discover the show. Follow us on Instagram at Blamo Podcast or send us an email at info at blamopod.com. Still want to connect? Join our Slack group and chat with other friends of the pod. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.